Hello, so not very long ago, the primary focus of terrorism-related coverage was about nefarious people brainwashed online and to supporting a conspiracy to provide material support to people like Al-Qaeda or the Islamic State, possibly even including traveling or attempted traveling to places like Syria to join its fighters there, or maybe scheming to carry out attacks in America or Europe or something like that. And, you know, sure enough, we'd, we'd occasionally hear about, like, white nationalists, but it, it wasn't the dominant thing that was happening in terms of coverage. However, we now have some very fresh reminders that there are other terrorists among us, don't we? Not all of the world's terrorists belong to Al-Qaeda or appeared in Islamic State propaganda videos or what have you. To put it cutely, some terrorists might be named Baba rather than Abdullah. They might belong to Yal-Qaeda or Yal-Qaeda. Other terms I've seen are vanilla ISIS or how about Yihadists? Like Yeehaw! Of course, they might call themselves Christian nationalists these days or maybe the MAGA movement. Joe Biden finally worked up enough nerve to associate them with fascism, though he merely called them semi-fascists. But, you know, at least he mentioned it. And we all know that many of these people have in mind sort of a theocratic state, right? You know, that's what Christian nationalism would logically entail. They have put many of their ideas pretty much right out in the open. And, uh, you know, obviously there is some white nationalist contingent to it. Proverbially, masks have fallen, hoods have been put on, and those dog whistles sounding during the original nascent Tea Party movement days have been replaced by loudmouth doofuses with bullhorns, basically. And people like Tucker Carlson have literally promoted the Great Replacement Theory on Fox News, and other blatantly white nationalist talking points. Prominent Republicans are associated with the white nationalist and the openly fascistic Nick Fuentes. They even spoke at, you know, one of his conferences. And in fact, there, are, there was a who's who of those people speaking at his extremist pack, like we had Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Arizona Representative Paul Gosar, Arizona Senator Wendy Rogers, former Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio, and you'll notice there's a pretty heavy presence of Arizona extremists at that event. But also, speaking, you know, at the Nick Fuentes event, we had Lieutenant Governor of, well, I don't know if she spoke there, but she was at least present. You had Lieutenant Governor of Idaho, Janice McGeechan, and he also had Patrick Casey of the Identity Europa, or is it Europa? I don't know. They put a V there instead of a U. But, you know, it, the point is an, it's an extremist cult. Sometimes, you know, uh, Patrick Casey's rebranded re himself. You know, these people do rebrand themselves when they find it convenient. So he calls himself part of the American identity movement as the current tactic to replace the word white because they know that they 
have a harder time selling white nationalist talking points. So they replace white with American a lot of the time because they're savvy on marketing and know they must lie their way further into power by occasionally downplaying their actual views, making the less palatable aspects, you know, seem more palatable and basically masking what they really are. So also associated with Nick Fuendes is Michelle Malkin, who was obviously on Fox News for a while, and she has close ties to white supremacists like Jared Taylor, and she perversely wrote an entire book rationalizing the internment of Japanese Americans, you know, during World War II. So, yeah, I think most people, like, even if they, even if they did like that happening, they probably wouldn't write an entire book about it. So that shows her commitment to horrible ideas right there. And, you know, some of this is going on with or without Nick Fuentes' help, helping us fear one type of terrorism, you know, Islamic terrorism, while never applying the same kinds of standards toward terrorist threats that involved white Christian Americans, you know. Uh, we're all supposed to be more afraid of the Islamic variety. And, you know, for, for example, we have the Trump-supporting journalist Asra Q. Nomani, a former Wall Street Journal reporter who once stated that profiling on the basis of religion, race, and ethnicity regarding Muslims is a necessary part of keeping our skies safe. That's an actual quote. And sure enough, some people have that view and they have those fears. But the problem is we already know that white nationalist extremists are capable of, you know, doing things that are equally as terrible. We, in, in fact, fought a world war partly over that, right? You know, again, World War II, uh, we saw what the white nationalist, white supremacist ideology was capable of. And, you know, it's sometimes called the Holocaust. And in a major sense, the Civil War was also about, you know, these similar ideas, wasn't it? You know, it was about actually enslaving human beings. So, yeah, that's all factual. You can, you can try to correct me on that, but I don't think you'll get very far. So maybe to help some people out there understand... Maybe we should encourage them to look at some far-right Christians as if they are potential jihad fighters already inside the country. To me, it seems a bit fundamentally unfair to be able to profile one group but not another. So, obviously, anarchists and communists have been profiled similarly in the past as well, and non-white people are notoriously profiled even if they are totally innocent, and of course you have an increasingly common knowledge fact that Martin Luther King was actually profiled and uh, tracked by the FBI. And ap apparently, I've heard also that Aretha Franklin was even being tracked. And uh, they couldn't find anything on her after all that time. It was apparently like a sustained decades-long campaign, and they couldn't really find anything. So th think about that when they talk about, you know, fiscal conservatism, because that sounds like a waste of money to me. Well, anyway, you, ha you also have May Mayor Stop and Frisk Bloomberg, 
you know, Mike Bloomberg from New York, who thought profiling was a good idea. And uh, you also have some dramatic, you know, deaths and stuff like that with cops choking and shooting people or, you know, uh, that kind of thing just because they have a suspect. Uh, or it might be simply because the person was looking or acting slightly different. And, you know, to be fair, not all police violence or killings are against black people or other minorities. But it's undeniable that much of it is, just as it's undeniable that white nationalists have had some success within police departments themselves. For example, you can look into the LAPD. They've had plenty of gangs infiltrating their department over there. And of course, the LAPD is not exactly the the most... Uh, smiled upon police department in existence. And to be to be fair, the mainstream media is paying more attention att sorry, attention to white nationalist violence than it often has in the past few decades. So I think there is some success in treating it as seriously as they would treat ISIS or some group like that. But I think it still needs to hit people differently and to be talked about differently than it sometimes is even right now. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what it will take for people to finally, you know, regard this problem as being as serious as it truly is. Even though they were involved in attacking this nation's capital recently, it still seems people hesitate to call, you know, the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys terrorists. Even though, I mean, if you look at anybody... If, if they had done that kind of thing, they would be, you know, in some serious trouble. They would be called terrorists if it was like, oh, I don't know. Obviously, Muslims would be branded terrorists. But even if it was, you know, like a Mexican-American or some Iranian group, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just sort, sort of obvious, isn't it? And there's a lot about them framing these issues over the years that's kind of created uh, lackluster impact. Uh, so, for example, on Thursday, October 1st, 2020, the DOJ quoted John C. Demers, the Assistant Attorney General for National Security, as saying, with this week's repatriations, the United States has brought back every American supporter of ISIS known to be held by the Syrian Democratic Forces against whom we have charges. So that's them actually talking about ISIS, you know. That, doesn't that sound like, I mean, not like they have to hype it up, but that that's just phrased in the most boring way possible. You know, I mean, I'm not a believer that you have to spice everything up, but, like... You can barely even understand what happened in that sentence. Like if you're an average, if you're an average American, so even even sometimes when they're talking about you know the Islamic extremists, they use kind of boring language to sort of dull it down. <laughs> Let alone when they're talking about groups that probably deserve more attention these days. So they are known as terrorists for plotting to join the Islamic State. There will be a unique focus on how they become become terrorists. 
we'll hear about the suspected ringleader, how about the prosecutors, whether these suspects were Somali-American or, you know, from some other country or from this place or that. Lots of talk and extra focus on who they are, where they're from, who's funding them, what may have radicalized them, etc. But over the years, obviously not much focus like that has been directed at these white nationalist groups. It seems like the white supremacist groups only get that sort of focus now because some of these cases are just so so high profile and so much more common that it's simply harder to look away. And certain prominent Republicans are mainstreaming so many of their talking points that we're even forced to kind of address them in that sense too. So there's only a sense of urgency because we're right in the middle of that urgency. Still, I think because some people are mostly looking away for so long, it's hard to know how much longer our elections and people's lives and institutions overall will be free from interference by these previously fringe groups that have actually become more mainstream. You know, there's actually danger that more of these people could actually win some elections. And obviously, based on those associated with Nick Fuentes, that has actually been true in some cases. So, you know, on this on this podcast, possibly next week, I'm going to be having an interview slash conversation with a man associated with the organization Life After Hate. So feel free to stay tuned for that. I'm... I'm arranging this for next Thursday for the actual interview to take place. I'm not sure if I will actually upload it then. It might be the next day or the day after or something like that because I do have other plans on Thursday as well. But, you know, hopefully hopefully it'll happen. I've interviewed a former extremist on this podcast before named Scott Ernest. And I think that episode was pretty good. And you can check it out if you just scroll down and look for it on this, uh, you know, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. If you're listening to this episode, you'll probably be able to find the interview with Scott Ernest. And yeah, so um, hopefully I gave you some food for thought here and well, have a good day.